Unloose the goose. We'll take no views. Your paradigms run out of time and we've got no use. Unloose the goose. Welcome everyone to Unloose the Goose. I'm 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 like mixing the audio at the same time as doing this, so I I can't hear Neeti if she talks right now because when we go on YouTube it starts talking. I don't want you to get an ep- an echo. This is episode 45 of Unloose the Goose, and we have an interesting little variety show. I've got Neeti Bali on. Wave. Can I talk? Yeah, you can talk. Oh, they would have heard you. I just wouldn't have heard you because I didn't want them to have to hear echo me talking in the background. And then I understand that Xavier Hawk will pop in late as usual. He likes to pop in late on us. And we might even get a spot jump in from Sally Agarist, who will be, he's in a meeting until like 430 or something. So if he wants to pop in, he can. It'll be a fun day. We decided to do a bit of a variety show today. But before we jump into that, Nithi, will you tell us like, what new is going on in your life this week? Or is there anything exciting going on where you are? Um, I think that you mean, what am I working on all the time? Cause it's sure. Okay. What's going on in my life right now? We're upsetting this space. We just, you know, after we were at Rogue, I feel excited because I feel very connected to you and to Tennessee now. That's great. No, I will say that. Oh, look, X is coming in. Yeah, X is coming on. I, I just am, I'm actually really excited because I feel uh, connected to Tennessee in ways I wasn't before. So I'm super excited about that. I have some new clients from there that I'm coaching, and it's really fun because I get to connect them with your friends for food. So yeah, that, it's that's cool too. It's really great. Huh? I said it's really great. Our networks have come together. It's super exciting. I love it. And I'm excited. Uh, I enjoyed, you know, meeting these new farm farmers and, you know, having conversations with them about what they're doing and how um, I'd like to see them working with some of my clients. And they seem to be excited about that. So that's it's great. I, I mean, it's a lot of fun. Awesome. Well, what's new at the Holler Homestead is we have an open house on Saturday where the Holler neighbors are just going to do what we do. And people can come check it out. We'll put out finger foods for lunch. I'm pretty sure I'm going to can some some pickles or some pickled beets. And uh, we're processing some chickens in the morning because we have to. It's just it's like that time. But my pig, she's close. She's really close to giving birth. First time we've ever had pig birth on the property, so we have no idea what we're doing. (laughs) And Murphy's Law says she's either going to give birth on Saturday when everybody's here because then it'll just be extra levels of crazy or next weekend when I go out of town for a day. So we don't know which one it'll be, but there's lots of us around. Xavier, I'm just going around before we jump into a random set of topics today and, and asking Gaggle members, what's new in your life? What is new in Xavier Hawk's life? Wow. So, um, a lot. We are working on a smart city project in Miami. Um, this just sort of unfolded in the last week and a half. 
And I'm not going to tell you the sources of the funding, but there's a lot going on um, from both sides of the aisles. Um, and it's a, it's an exciting, it's an exciting opportunity and project. Uh, and then also an innovation center in Miami. So if you guys don't know, Miami has sort of become the new San Francisco, um, in terms of tech development and especially like in crypto, the, the mayor of Miami is a super crypto, uh, savvy individual. And, um, they want to do some really cool things with Firon doing infrastructure for the county. Uh, so we've got these like three things just like all just sort of popped up and we've raised a whole bunch of money um, to, to make all of this kind of happen. And so it's just like the winds are at our sails and I'm, I'm very, very excited for, for Firon and for, you know, just what the new world can look like in terms of uh, accountability, which I'm very excited about. Awesome. Well, I was talking to Neethi before we started today, and there are a couple things I wanted to cover on today's show. And one is communicating hard concepts or freedom to people who are not feeling particularly open to it. Now, Xavier, I know you talked about this once with John Bush, but we didn't have the female perspective on that. So now we're going to double woman you today. All right, let's do it. Let's double woman you. So let's let's start down the path. When, Neethi, when you run across somebody who's maybe resistant to some of the ideas you have, and in your case, a lot of your ideas are centered around whole food and not participating in in the commercial systems and not supporting what's happened to our medical system, which can sound conspiratorial when we start talking about it, right? And people go, bah. how do you reach people despite defenses that come up? What are, what are some things that you do when you see it happening? Hmm. Well, first of all, I don't try to convince people of anything. So I'm listening a lot, you know, um, I'm listening to where they're coming from and, you know, they're usually authentically, genuinely correct for being where they're at, you know, at that moment. And so I guess I need an example, Nicole, because like, you know, depending on which way they come, I'm like, I'm trying to think if there's something I could think of right off the top, like, um, Right now, I had somebody, uh, this week, actually, yeah. you know, um, there's a husband and wife, husband and wife, and the husband wants my help. The wife does the cooking in the house. She feels like I'm trying to kill him because I'm trying to take him off of vegetables, um, you know, and off of grain. Sorry. Crazy talk. I know. He's just like, how, you know, he can't just not eat, you know, vegetables. Oh my gosh. I've been trying to get him to eat vegetables. You just told him he's not supposed to eat vegetables. And so, you know, but also he is, um, being threatened with gallbladder removal and he doesn't want to lose his gallbladder. And I just happen to know that we can flush out the stones and, I know that if you let nature operate in the way that nature's supposed to operate, it works. You know, I, uh, but so, you know, she's, she's very concerned. She's genuinely concerned for his health. And, you know, I told her, I said, you know, I understand. I do. I mean, you know, all the medical professionals that we've trusted, um, with, you know, I mean, they're the professionals, you know, and, I'm just this Indian woman who's crazy, 
running this food church, like, you know, mm-hmm. um, but I, I said, well, what, what they're telling him to do isn't working. Is he needing an all meat diet? Is that what it is? That, so like Michaela Peterson, Jordan Peterson's daughter, she did the same. You're familiar with that, right? The Jack is all about the keto diet and he's done really well with that. Um, do you think, do you think that showing results for other people would be something that like social edification or social, uh, what's it called? I mean, testimony is number one, right? So I told her, I said, I said, well, you can log in on meetrx.com and you can follow the meetrx podcast and see the thousands of people that are posting every single day. And there's just this long slew of people. Um, you know, like Jack said last week, he said, or maybe it was the week before, I don't remember which week now, but anyway, one time he said, you know, if you take people off of fat or protein, they will die. Mm-hmm. If you take them off of carbs, nothing happens. Mm-hmm. And it's true. And, you know, I told her, I said, the cause is the cure in this case. And his gallbladder is being clogged up because he's on like a lot of plants, like a lot of plants and sugar. And, um, and so, yeah, I mean, I, I said, well, I've been working with people for 12 years and they're all only getting better. And you know, something you do that you may not know that you do. Mm-hmm. And a, you read people's body language really well. Mm-hmm. So, and not everybody knows they do that. I don't know if you do, if you do that with purpose or not, but when, when you're talking to somebody, you will start with the emotional argument first before you drive them to testimony, before you drive them to fact. Mm -hmm. Because some people, when they have an emotion in the way, can't hear the other message, no matter how many charts are put up. And I think about this because we did this at Rogue Food, right? Where, the, the biggest obstacle to people just starting to do what is not morally wrong, which is take wholesome food that they produce and sell it to somebody else, however mm-hmm. we call that, for exchange it for donations or whatever that is. The biggest thing we saw was this, you know, these cottage food laws do not compute or this the food church doesn't compute. I don't understand how it works. Well, it's not hard, but what's hard is is the fear of negative consequences and that's in the way of of that message coming in and so what started as a how to discussion ended up being a lot more about addressing fears getting over fears and that's right. the emotional piece and right. i think that's true for other things that we run up against in the freedom world or agorist world where there's a lot of discussion about how to that's driven by fear of consequences. We're, we're, we're all very well trained, you know, and we really, really want to do a good job. And we're not really trying to break the rules. I mean, like when, when, um, I remember when Joel Salatin first told me that I was rogue and I was like, Oh, I guess I am. I didn't, I didn't know. <laughs> I wasn't really, I wasn't trying to be rogue. Like, you know, if you're going to keep pushing me in corners, I'm just going to keep coming back out and, you know, like pushing back. But mm-hmm. especially when what you're trying to do is the correct thing. And that's what I told this woman. I said, you know, I'm not trying to, I don't want your husband to die. Like actually, 
Like I really want him to just not be in pain anymore. And, um, and I'm making a lot of bold statements and they're scary because Mm -hmm. you've never heard this before, but I mean, he's not the first person I've ever talked to who has a gallbladder problem. And, you know, you might not know this, but these doctors these days are trying to cut everybody's gallbladder out and it's pretty crazy. What? It's actually terrifying. Oh, I cannot tell you how many, if you were, if we were to right now say, Hey guys, um, if you're on this, um, on our YouTube right now, tell us if you have a gallbladder or not. I would like to see how many people don't have one because there's a bazillion people. I mean, a lot of people think they can't do anything but be vegan because they've been told by the doctor who cut their gallbladder out that they're not allowed to eat meat anymore or fat, which is a total lie, by the way. Like if you don't have a gallbladder, you absolutely can, you know, eat only meat and you need to, but I'm not going to try to argue or convince you or whatever. Like, you know, everybody's finding their way to this if they're unwell and they're, you know, like if they try to live and not die, they'll find their way at some point. But yeah, I, I definitely, um, try to disarm the emotional fear for sure. Um, I don't, I don't want anybody to be scared and I want people to be confident and, you know, um, and, and, and if you're going to change your lifestyle, it has to be your choice. And, you know, you, the only thing that's, that's interfering with your ability to gain health is you because there's nobody doing anything to you. Nobody can make anybody do anything to you. Like I can't, I'm not with you in the closet when you're eating the donuts or whatever you're doing, you know, like, and I'm not even, you know, like nothing's between you and your, your mouth and your being except for you. So you just get to decide to do that. And that's none of my business. So if you want my help, I'll help you, but it's none of my business. Yeah. So Xavier, I've watched the, the genesis of, of um, baseline. Mm. From your very first episode, which I don't think, I don't know that you produced that one wildly originally. Yeah. It was like this little inside joke you sent out. Yeah. And um, I think what's, what I've seen happen there since you began is you are also using emotional tools to get the message through. Have you ever analyzed it that way? Are you doing that with purpose or are you doing that naturally? Yeah. Well, both, I think I, I just accentuated. So I can be very expressive with my face and with motions and things. And I'm sort of like conveying a lot beyond just the words and conveying my opinion. I'm conveying my judgments. I'm conveying a bunch of different stuff and people. Ah, the NSA got it again. It always happens when he's about to say something really good. (laughs) We want to know. What? How'd you get from it? Okay. He'll be back in a bit. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I found that stories really help. Yeah. But if people are completely blocked off to an idea and you tell them a story of how, how whatever we're talking about can work or has worked or has helped somebody, they come back at you. Like if, if, if somebody is set in their way, and wants to argue their side and that's all they want to do. They'll come back at you and basically say, well, that's just one example. That's not founded in reality. 
and they try to bring it to to the data at that point. Well, that study hasn't been, you know, your studies are never good enough, et cetera. At that point, what I like to do when, when we're communicating hard concepts or things that people are defensive about is stop. I just ask questions. I stop. Yeah. I don't try to tell people things. You know, I want, I just start asking them questions because honestly, I think they can answer those things for themselves if it's logical, yeah. right? So I like to go into logic and, or push logic by asking questions. And, and I'm my back. Nicole, you do that too, Nicole. I do like to ask questions that people don't, um, you ask good well, questions, like really good questions. People aren't always ready to answer the question when you ask it, though. And that's good. So that's the other thing is when you ask a question, if somebody's kind of shifty or if they give you an answer, the answer they give you that that moment may not be the answer that comes three days from now when it's been bubbling around in their mind. Right. Yeah. Can you guys hear me? Hear me? Oh, Xavier's yeah. back. You were, you were talking to us about the advent of how you started and how you build in. And Thanks you were talking lot. about how when you communicate. I get shut off by the body language. So go from there. And then the NSA shut you right down. Boom. Gone. Um, yeah. Jack did this episode on Miyagi mornings about why we know what we know and how, why we come to conclusions we do about things that we know. Quote unquote. And so, yes, I'm conveying a lot with my articulation and my movement, um, my eyebrows, all of that, but it, it, it's more of like a um, a full body feeling experience. So it's not just conveying the information, but also how I feel about it, you know, what the implications are and how we do it socially, but that they kind of go unnoticed sometimes, you know, we, so much of communication is, is nonverbal. So I try to add as much as I can of that in, but going back to what, what Jack was saying is like, there's so much politicization that people do politicization or whatever that people don't necessarily think critically about whatever the issue is. They usually go by what the cohort or the group that they associate with thinks and feels and they default to that, that position, sometimes not even knowing why. And we have such a politicized environment. And sometimes I think purposefully that the critical thinking goes out the window. And so to, to, to not just add the emotional, uh, opinionates, uh, opinions, but also to hit them with a the critical thinking thing. And I think the, the example that he used, two things. The example that he used was critical race theory, how there, it's a Trojan horse essentially that's politicized that will teach cultural Marxism to our youth, <laughs> but that there is actually facts and valid things about racism and, 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 and uh, um, institutionalized racism. Like there are literally things that make us an institutionally race a lot, race, racist, uh, institutions that we have. Some of our, you know, uh, real estate policies, insurance policies, things like that. Mm. And to be able to take a highly politicized thing and stand in the middle, which is the second point, which is what I think we agorists do. There's no antithesis to agorism. It's not like, anybody actively wants to be enslaved, right? Like there's no like, Hey, we want to be slaves. It's like, we either want to be free and then there's how we do it, right? The left and the right. And so we get to stand in the middle and sort of be like, ah, yeah, actually there's some good to both of these things, right? Like there's some good 
good aspects to being a conservative and being fiscally conservative and wanting to maintain cultural values and sort of like the things that make civilizations prosper. And then there's all, which is constrictive. And then there's also real good benefits to being expansive and liberal and growing and exploring new things. And it's when we stand in the middle and we're able to be still that we can actually, you know, make sense of what's in the pond. It's like if you're splashing around to use an analogy that somebody I respect has, has always used, if you're in a pond and you've dropped your keys, you can't find it by splashing. You got to be still so then you can see down. So I think as agorists, we kind of do that um, and we say, OK, there are some aspects to things like critical race theory that are important. And then there are some things that are complete malarkey. Right. And then it's the same with like, you know, Republican values. It's like there are some things that are good for that small state powers, all of this. But then there's some, you know, utter bullshit. So being able to stand in the middle and it's helped me, you know, my Republican friends think I'm a Democrat. My Democrat friends think I'm a Republican to be able to sort of stand in the middle and point out the flaws and the benefits to both sides, because then we can bring people together. So not having any politicized, um, you know, perspective. And so like even in baseline today, I'm like, you know, F DeSantis for this, if this is really happening. And it's like, I think it's important that we call out both the good and the bad, not just politics, but in decision-making in general, because we tend to get polarized. I like to point out that just because you believe one thing doesn't mean you believe everything else that is on the official tribal approved list for whatever stereotype you've decided to assign to me, right? Like I have a friend who, whenever I say something remotely freedom-oriented, goes on the attack and then calls out me being a libertarian uh, which I'm not even sure you could call me a libertarian now, but maybe you can. But I definitely was. You know, it was part mm-hmm. of my journey. My journey continues. I don't know what I'll be in two years. Right. And, and because of that, that box, just it's all these things I must believe, half of which I don't. And therefore, you have no value anywhere else. Like, yeah. it's almost as if, like, because you've triggered me, right, that now I can't even listen to anything that you say. And, and yeah. there's so much of that. Th- triggering, you know, and microaggressions. Yeah. <laughs> it's the blame you know? training, you know, Xavier, the blame training, like they're trained to find something to blame constantly. Yeah. Or, you know, like, you know, why can't we all just learn something from each other? I, I definitely am changing my mind all the time about things. And I love a robust conversation to be able to learn from someone. Learn. Yeah. I could be wrong. I'm happy to be, you know, I want to find that out. I love to be wrong and, and find out something better or easier or more powerful. Yeah. I mean, I just don't understand um, this limiting belief. It's a false belief. You know, it's a, it's a false belief that the, that they've been trained into uh, because you're not allowed really um, to be a critical thinker. You're not allowed. Oh, I just made a post actually. <laughs> you know, I'm going to get, I'm always just blocked because I, I actually started the day today with this thing on my mind where I was like, why are we supposed to like, we're, we're given a belief that we're supposed to accept and we're not allowed to like, I, as an adult, I'm not allowed to critically think and, and, you know, and, and come up with my own fair and balanced opinion by gathering information from various sources because it's not an authoritative, it's not called 
what are they calling it? Authoritative information or something? Oh, like whatever. Yeah. Whatever, whatever the word is. As if you can't learn to be really good at something on your own. You have yeah, to. Yeah, Nicole hit it right on the head. You hit it right on the head, Nicole, when you said tribalist, tribalism. You know, it's like we will default our critical thinking to, to the flock or the herd. If everybody in the, if the majority of the herd believes one thing, then we will just simply to be accepted. And it comes back down to that whole fear of death, because if you're ostracized from the tribe, then you have to survive on your own and less chance of survival and all of that. And so, you know, people will, de and, and that's what Jack brought up in the Miyagi morning. It was like, why do you think what you think? And it's usually because you want to be accepted by the herd. And that's very true of libertarians, too. Yeah. But they'll fight like cats with each other. But there's also a very strong desire to find the team. And there's a very strong sense of, I finally found people. And to deny that in your nature, even as an agorist, to say, I go my own way, that's not exactly true, right? We do go our own way. Yeah. And we look for ways around things. But how happy was Nisi when she found us? Right. I mean, wow. It's, I, I can actually just, like, I'm not going to have to have this big, long, laborious discussion about eating meat now. Yeah. We could just talk about it and and have a conversation rather than because you know, it's uncomfortable when you get into the conversations and it turns into a big old pissing match. Right. Right. And, and that brings up another good point. Like not all agorists are sociopaths. Right. Where it's we're <laughs> contrarian just because it's like, no, we think critically. We're not just trying to do yeah. our own thing because we're so goddamn free. It's and, and that, you know, F everybody. It's like we actually want to belong. We want to be a part of a, a tribe, a family. Like we we get benefits by being able to love actively, right? Not being loved, but by loving. That that makes us feel good. And so we need to have people to appreciate in that way. So it, it's that that's a I think that's an important thing as well, that community. Tolerance. That yeah. brings me to tolerance, right? So, like, developing the ability to um, tolerate, you know, distress or d tolerate um, another person's opinion, um, you know. There goes. You know? Yeah, I mean, there's there's no tolerance. Like, we're liquid love. We're just looking for a place to be. And, and the fact that we, you know, I mean, but only we can give ourselves permission to grant ourselves the authority to decide what's important. And I think right now that's been diminished in everyone um, as per the institutionalized training. And isn't, I mean, I think that's what we're trying to shake everybody out of. It's like, yeah. I think that's what the Agorist, somebody said to me as an Agorist, you're not um, politically responsible. I said, I yeah, I don't know about that. I, I think if anything, it's the brown look. Yeah, furrowed. We're pushing the politics uh, by not participating. That's a big push. Um, it's like the depolitization, whatever depolitization uh, of of the of the discussion, right? It's like the it, it's almost like a uh, not charged. It's like a neutral grounding. Uh, it reduces the charge and allows us to speak as human beings rather than as a politicized individual who is who is being pushed around by the charge that's running around. You know, I was at this conference once and we were talking about when you get in an argument, what happens. And what happens is your your perspective is in this box. 
Mm-hmm. And the person you're arguing with is in that box. That's their perspective. If you want to have a fruitful outcome from that discussion, once you're both in your boxes, the, the first step is to go to your out of the box place. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that means realize that you've just drawn your box. It's, it's only your box because you drew those lines. If you step out of the box, you may see a solution that's completely not even on the table in either box that works for both people and therefore helps you have shared understanding, increased increased um, ability to work with each other, and better outcomes. And that's how I see agorists is we go to the out-of-the-box place and say, wait a minute, it doesn't matter if it's legal or not, is it moral? Well, we're natural creatures. We want to survive. We're not concerned with the nine to five, the grind, trying to find a hierarchy in the social stratosphere or whatever, or a stratum. Like we're literally natural creatures just trying to survive. So we have a a greater tendency to be curious. We actually want to learn. My wife says this all the time. She's like, can you just be curious about something instead of having the position? Um, and, And that way you might actually learn something, right? And she's, she's right. I think we as a, as a subcategory of humans tend to be more curious because we want to survive. And so we need to figure out the most efficient, effective and with the highest outcomes of survivability and thriving. And we're willing to, to hobble it together and piecemeal things and figure out, you know, a creative solution. Um, so like we're more creative and more curious. And that gives us, uh, an advantage in, in, um, arguments because we're not arguing. We're literally trying to find. Solution. We're trying to win together. Like we want to be, we want to win together. And um, yeah, I I don't think that we are trying to hurt or harm or win or rule over the other person. We're trying to help them figure out their terrain as well. Right. Like also that's the other part of it. Like, you know, we're open to have these discussions because what's going to work for me in my world might not work for any of you. And we have to be able to consider what, what it is about what I'm doing that is uncomfortable for Nicole or uncomfortable for Xavier. And then we try to see if there's not a way to do it still and, you know, um, make it a little bit easier for them. And I think that usually there's a way. There's yeah, I 100% like vegetables. That's one of our, our points of, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if you like vegetables, we can at least get along for five minutes. You're hilarious. <laughs> I actually like them in my mouth. I learn how to cook them better than most people. I just, they don't like me. I get, I mean. They like me, I think. We'll find out. But, but you know, taking a center ground often makes the arrows fly at you from both sides. Right. Like if, if, for instance, in the agorist community, right? Every time. (laughs) Yeah. If, if I say like, Hey, like what Jack was saying in terms of critical race theory, if there is a benefit to, and and this got me in trouble with some of our geese, right? Like if there is something beneficial to uh, the UN SDG goals, for instance, let's use a hot button word. Um, like. Oh, good. Get the fan on YouTube. (laughs) <laughs> I'm recording. We're fine. We're, we're fine. Good, good. But like, it, it's like what Jack said about critical race theory. There are some actual good things. It's just how do we implement? How do we do? How do we achieve these goals? It's like the ends don't justify the means. We all want a clean planet. We all want, um, you know, people to. We want poverty to end. You know, so you would think, oh, we want poverty to end. Let's get everybody paid. Universal basic income. But that flips so many people out on this side. You all know. Right. But then this side really wants it. And it's like, well, so, you know, it's like walking a fine line in between in the yellow. You've got the red and the blue. And 
you know, the third color is yellow, but very few people choose that. They get really polarized, but the yellow path is the radiant path. And if we can find a balanced pathway, then, then we can find solutions that, that satisfy the whole system. I feel like there's a whole rainbow in between, Xavier. Yeah, probably. I know, I'm just using the primary colors because, people, <laughs> like, red and blue is how they divide people. And yeah. it's us yellows that need to, like, you know, it's us right. yellows that need to be like, hey, wake up, folks. Like, you don't need to be so charged. Yeah. That's a good point, Xavier, about the red and the blue that I didn't even think about. Well, and it got me to thinking about, like, the stick in the arm that everybody wants us to have. Mm. It doesn't matter that it's this one for this one thing to me. It could be one for anything. It could be for foot fungus. Yeah. I'm still going to want to know what the side effects are and et cetera before I make a personal decision about if that's going in my body or not, right? Like I'm recovering from one of those for something else from 20 years ago still that, that I had a side effect to. And that's what taught me to look for side effects in, in, in things when I used to just sort of blindly follow the advice of doctors. I remember that. asking the question. Well, now if you ask a question about this particular one, you're a racist. So many people <laughs> on all sides are all up in my face about you need to do it. You need to do it. You need to do it. I'm like, no, I don't. No, I don't. No, I don't. And I don't know why you care. I'm right. not out there. Like I talk about it from time to time, but I'm not, I'm not going to say yes, I will and lie. Right. right. But why is that the issue? It just is. And and that's one where people just get so charged they can't see beyond this study or that study. And they, they just they come at each other and just hurl studies at each other without so, taking a step back and saying, when did all this start? I mean, I feel like I've been living in my own little world over here for too long because I remember a time when nobody would be trying to prove anything with a freaking study. OK, it would be laughed at. It was laughable. If you were just because you, you everybody knew that you can pay anybody to do a study about anything. And oh, that's just becoming common knowledge in the past year, though, like for the majority of the herd. Yeah. Like we might be on that shit, but like other people are like just finding that out now. <laughs> you know, I'm like so feeling lost, Xavier. I'm like, who 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 believes this crap? I'm not. I, I mean, I guess somebody was asking me. They were like, where's the study for this and that? And I'm like, dude, I mean. Does it matter? You know, like, yeah. who cares? Like, studies can give you information, but you need to see what the study is, which means you need to look at it and not the article that summarizes it. And every time ever people, when people pile on me to try to convince me to do what I'm not ready to do, and I'm not going to say I'm ready to do it if I'm not ready to do it, they come at me with articles about studies. Yep. That they haven't read. They've read the article. Hey, right. I wanted to bring something out from the YouTube because it's going to fall off my screen. But Bobby says, Bobby Joe says, once you stop legitimizing the government is when you realize you're truly free. Yeah, we don't give them any power because we don't care. Yeah. That's my shirt, remember? I, I think that, that goes back to your question, <laughs> the original question, Nicole. It's like, how do you convince somebody who's polarized or, or really about something like, to, to, to get them to even consider uh, thinking outside the box? Yeah. And asking questions, but it, it, it's it, understanding these things that we've just discussed, the polarization, the, you know, just blindly accepting things because the herd does. You have tools in your toolbox. It, it, you're not really trying to get them to wake up to one particular issue. You're trying to fundamentally wake them up from their sleep. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's really it. And when you recognize that, and I think all of us to some degree had awakened 
to certain understandings about the world that were uncomfortable and tried to convince our families or whatever. And those discussions never went well, especially in the nineties. Right. Um, unless you, you know, from a very forward thinking progressive kind of like family, but, um, I know for me, it was very difficult to say like things like, yeah, nine 11 was an inside job. That kind of like, what you know it's immediately the same kind of polarization oh you must be not xavier a lot of people died we know them we know some of those people and one life is too many but the fact is is that there was something weird that went on there whether it's the government or aliens or you know something where did the plane go and and that's really it it's like the questions like well how do you explain this how do you explain that you know and then so whatever the subject is like did you the know that Fauci worked for the Wuhan lab and funded it? Did you oh, know man, his emails started coming out and people were still not like. And then it takes somebody maybe like. Maybe there was some manipulation here. But to me, like, okay, like to the. To okay, the, they're never going to change. That's where you walk away. I mean, those I just don't spend time on. Right, but, right. Like the 9-11 thing, no one in the news said, you know, if this plane hit the building, where are the parts of the plane that's fallen to the ground? Right. Did you find pieces of the plane that hit the ground? Yeah. I mean, it, it fucking worked for Plato, so why wouldn't it work for all of us? Right. Just ask questions, but you can only you can only ask intelligent questions if you know about the subject. And I know I've read peer-reviewed articles and thought, you know, come out with different conclusions than the, the people who've written the articles or written the studies. And if you don't do that, you're not thinking critically and you're just parroting what other people in your herd say. And it happens in libertarians, too. There's factions of libertarian. It's like, how could you be more retarded? Well, they've not been taught to think, Xavier. They like millions have been just they've been taught what to think, but they're not taught how to think. So we have to. Right. We have to, like. Get That's where we're starting, right? We're just starting. Yeah, like, thank God for that one high school English teacher I had who walked in a room, and the first term, she hadn't been there. We had a substitute who we loved in this English class, and we had written a petition to not have the actual teacher when she came back from a trip overseas where she was teaching for, like, six weeks or something. And so she came in and had this petition from her students saying they don't want her there. And she walks up to the board and she writes critical thinking. And for the, the that whole term, she was t- talking about how to employ critical thinking into your life. And had that teacher not been in my life, and I ended up, like, loving that teacher more than any teacher I had in high school pretty much, right, by the end of that term. Uh, but had she not been there, nobody else had even brought that idea up as a thing. Wait, this was like, the you should question things. Like, we had this whole canning jar lid thing going on last year where they were hard to get. Mm-hmm. And people explaining all these conspiratorial things were, that were wrong that might be. Ha- I called Ball, yeah. and I said, "So silly question, like, do you know when you're going to get lids, and do you know why you don't have them?" And they said, "Well, we've had four times the demand for them from January to July that we would in a whole year, yeah. the year before, and so we yeah. can't keep up with demand." That's it. They no conspiracy. They have forecast for it. So not not because of tariffs on metal. Just literally, we can't keep up because this has not happened to us since the 70s. Wow. Nobody cared about glass jars before. Yeah. Yeah. Until their livelihoods are threatened and they're like, wait a minute, all those weird conspiracy people might actually be right. Yeah. And it's not like I needed special permission to call a factory. 
I just had to ask the question and I won't do that for everything. Right. But in that one, so many people were asking me about it. So many people were making up redonkulous stories about ball jarlids. But I was like, okay, I just want to know why. And I want to know how long. Right. Right. It's really um, worth spending $2 yeah. a lid right now. No, actually, if I wait, they'll eventually come back. Yeah. I said this, I did the same thing. Um, Nicole with freezers. Because, yeah. you know, that was what pushed us out of the house and we needed commercial space and we needed more freezers. And so as a side effect, I'm like, dude, I got to order. I got to get some freezers. Where's all the freezers? No freezers. You can't buy freezers. And I'm like, are they just not making appliances anymore? Like what in the world is happening? I'm confused. What's going on? And they're like, nobody bought this many freezers ever in history <laughs> in a period. And now we're just, we're, we just sold out and we just didn't even know we needed to make so many. By the way, that's all going to get worse. It's not going to get better anytime soon. I'm sorry to say. I don't, we had, we had a break in the freezer market about three weeks ago. Prices came down to normal freezer prices because I just bought two because I wanted to replace my ice cream freezer with a chest freezer that's insulated and I wanted an event. I have a fridge freezer combo now that's really cool. It can be a fridge. Or a freezer, depending on what I need it to be, and I do events, so that's cool. And they were all like the prices they would have been about a year ago, or a year and a half ago. I got, I got the. Price. They arrived within two weeks of ordering. Yeah, yeah, I have that going on, but I can't get. I still can't get large chest freezers. If you see them, I how large? I mean, like, like twenty-seven cubic feet or more. Twenty-two cubic square feet or more. Oh yeah, that's what I got. Everybody wants us to talk about John McAfee. I know. John McAfee didn't kill himself. Okay. I got nothing beyond that. You, Neepy? Is this the guy with two bullets in his head like everybody else? That- no, hung himself from a doorknob in prison. Yeah, it, like this just came out this afternoon, so you probably haven't heard about it necessarily. Yeah, it Sorry, I've been working at your CSA world. Yeah. McAfee, um, he created, I believe, the, or he's the CEO behind, I don't know, his role, um, Norton Antivirus Software. Yeah, apparently he's dead, and I agree, John McAfee didn't But he was a big guy and and very uh, anarchist and very anarcho-capitalist, very, like, damn the man, fuck the empire, all of that, and and has notoriously said many, many times that he will never commit suicide, and that if any, if he ever, literally, he said, he tweeted, if he ever is found hanging from a doorknob, it was not him. Wow. Yeah. Wow. For the record, I'm not ever going to commit suicide either. Okay, friends? Yeah, same. Same, same. You know what? If I was terminally ill and in a lot of pain, I might do it at that moment. But otherwise, yeah. But I would do it creatively. (laughs) I'm, yeah. Hemlock might be involved. I don't know. We'll see. Still doing research. Random story you just triggered. I actually, as an EMT, rolled up at a camp where some yeah. kid was literally trying to kill themselves with hemlock because no, they okay. saw that Socrates <laughs> who was killed with hemlock tea. Anyway, some famous Greek philosopher, I'm pretty sure it was Socrates, was killed with hemlock tea. And so they, they got this bright idea that they were going to eat hemlock flowers and die. And like... You, you, that's not how it works. You have to like really, um, you know, synthesize it and, and really boil it down and get like a, 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 a decoction and stuff. So I, I had, they got really upset and were really sad that they were doing it and they didn't want to halfway through. And I started laughing at them 
and it wasn't necessarily appropriate, but it was like, I knew that you couldn't, you know, die from like eating, you know, even like a bushel of flowers. Like, and so I, I was comforting them with that and, and the laughter and they, of course they survived, but yeah, hemlock is a, is a creative way. <laughs> I've been reading all about it lately. Yeah. I will <laughs> never do that. But so, um, I was like, you know, if you don't have access to things, what is hemlock good for besides killing somebody? Right. Mm-hmm. And it has a narcotic effect. Yeah. It's kind of like playing with fire. To eat yeah. Them. Yeah. They got, they got messed up. They were like delirious yeah. and like, Ooh, you know? Yeah. And the way it's supposed to kill you, if you have enough of it is it shuts down your nervous system and you stop breathing. That's right. That's right. So, uh, as agorists, we, <laughs> we know a lot about herbs and plants, um, <laughs> but it's good. I think, I think each one of you are very curious in your own way. And again, I think that that's a trait that marks agorists. Libertarians are not necessarily curious. They're opinionated, right? Um, and, and, and like, we're like the opposite of opinionated. We might have opinions on things and we might strongly voice those and, and the logic behind them to to the degree that we can incorporating all of the clever feelings and, and nonverbal communication but ultimately we're curious and I I, I, I I sort of am thinking of Jack right now because like if somebody came on with an opinion and couldn't back it up he would totally destroy them right so I think that that's that's also like another aspect to this if you know what you're talking about and you speak with authority um, then people tend to listen right yeah Although Jack sometimes chooses not to destroy people publicly. No. I've watched him do it where he's like, mm, okay, I wasn't going to say anything, but man. Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I like your, you keep saying curious, curiosity, Xavier, and that's true. Like this is something that I don't think a lot of people are really um, focused on. Well, and- we are bipedal, you know, semi-crystalline hominids. On a planet that is a molten core with spinning around at 65,000 miles an hour, flying through space through hundreds of thousands of miles an hour around an ongoing nuclear explosion. We are so like tenuous and tiny in this whole thing. What the F do we really know? Right. And if I'm, I'm going through this big humbling experience recently and it's teaching me that I might know some things that I think I know about, but really like, like, if you really boil it down, like, why do I have two arms? Two, like, you can really deconstruct this whole thing and be like, I know nothing. I've figured out how to survive and thrive in this environment. But what do I really know? The longer I live, I learn I don't know anything at all. Yeah. I'm well, just- that's why it's not so, like, gut-wrenching when you're wrong, right? You're like, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah exactly. That's why we don't care. Like, we're... Like, this, there's nothing that serious going on. And it's always just fun to learn, you know, oh, we were wrong about that. Okay, that's cool. It's good to know. And we, there's some other thing there going on. So how do we, if we, if you, Nicole, if you were to make a marketing, marketing strategy for agorism, how would you do that? Neatly for you as well, Tim. I would come up with the three. Remember, most people are stupid. Yeah, I know. The the three most important core values, and really there's probably only one, which is leave me alone, but find a more decorative way to say that. Uh None of my business is another one. I don't, I mean, if if I sat in a room of agorists, we'd probably come up with fancier words. Probably some quirky stuff too. 
then I'd find emotional stories that just convey those messages over and over and over that make it less threatening for people to learn about people who are just living their lives to reinforce that not everything has to be your business that somebody else is doing. Right. Mm. And if you look, it's funny. If you look at children's books, like a hundred years ago, they kind of did that. That, that may be why, or, or more like 80 years ago, yeah, a hundred years ago. What get, like you have the Bobsy, Go, go read the Bobsy twins, read through the racially wow. uncomfortable things that will be in there. And you've got these kids they go out and solve their own problems and help people. And the they don't have permission. They just do it. Not biopsy twins. Bopsy. Bopsy twins. There's the the different bopsy. authors. It's, it was sort of like this concept. I'll see if we can find it for you, the Bopsy twins. Yeah. Um, cool. And there's a whole, I don't remember who went into this, but there's a whole school of thought about it. if you look at the popular fairy tales, 50 years from there is when you have, um, either more freedom or less freedom based on the ne- necessity for a fairy godmother or something to intervene. That's that's setting the foundation for I need magic from the government. Wow. Versus if the fairy tale is about somebody just a story about somebody solving their own problem. Just put a link in there for you. So you're saying there's a correlation between the amount of fantasy fiction. Well, uh, with, with like an external savior, uh, based upon how free that society or culture is. Yeah, that's, and I, I will have to go like dig deeply because I was really fascinated by this probably 10 or 15 years ago. I was like, we need to be not just writing children's stories about monetary systems, which is kind of boring or how money works. And I, I don't want to oh, actually dissuade whoever's doing that because that's good, but just good random Harry Potter like stories that become popular. Um, what's that setting the foundation for 50 years from now? Interesting. I remember reading, oh, not Charlie Brown, uh, Detective Brown or something. Like it was a kid, a young kid who would solve all these crimes and mysteries. Yeah, exactly. That shit was brilliant. And I'm not sure. I think, you know, people think Harry Potter is setting us up for socialism. But if you look at the the plot line, they're fighting Wait, you know, this- just the Ministry of Magic and all that. But at the same time, they're like, eh, the Ministry of Magic doesn't matter that much. I'm going to go do my thing. Yeah. Right? And yeah. those kids are solving their own problems. Yeah. I mean, we did when we were growing up. You know, like, our parents were not involved. We were, we were raising ourselves in that sense. You know, they were just like, go outside. Go outside and play. Yeah. Well, and we're Gen X, like, right? Getting out of here. Yeah. And yeah. You know, also, it was a common thing for people to say, mind your business. Mind your business. Yeah. Hmm. Mind your business. That's something we could use more of in this world. Yeah, mind your business. That's none of my business. Like, sometimes I get all caught up in stuff. I'm like, wait a minute, Nicole, that's none of your business. Right. They ask for your help, help, but it's like none of your business. Right. I mean, that's why I started saying that a lot when I'm coaching and stuff, too. I'm like, you know, you, you, this is what you probably should do, but that's none of my business. That's between you and you. Do you remember the 80s? There was like a, a, a there was a show about kids that went missing like every night on television. Um, oh, so, like Unsolved Mysteries or something? But it wasn't Unsolved Mysteries. It was like the title was something horrific, like Missing Children or some like weird shit. <laughs> yeah. And and like there were ki- like a spite of spat of kids going missing or whatever. So I went missing, but I was over at a neighbor's house. And I just didn't tell my parents. <laughs> and like. 
a hell storm was unleashed. <laughs> and then when my mom found me, she she's an immigrant, right? She's a Lebanese woman. She found me and laid into me just like, bam, 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 like spanking me real hard. And like all the neighbors started gathering around and being like, you can't do that. And she literally turned on one of them, like with her finger in her face. And she's like, don't you dare and tell me what I can and can't do with my child. You know, like, <laughs> my parents did that all the time and they would have I never went missing again. Up. Just have to say, uh, <laughs> I mean, our neighbors, I mean, my mom, I remember our parents used to have straight up screaming matches with anybody in the neighborhood who, who stepped out of line. And then all, also everybody went right back into, you know, being, being friends in the neighborhood all over again. Like, it was not a big deal. It was okay. Everybody, and we all used to make fun of each other for all of our crazy weirdnesses. And everybody knew they were going to make fun of you for your crazy, crazy weird thing that you did. If that was something that you did, you know? Yeah. I, so, I, I personally think, you know, like spankings and stuff, like it, it makes sense, especially for unruly people because they're not people yet. They, they're still like animals, right? Um, as, as children, like we, we don't understand reason to a certain age. However, like as Gen X, I think we were all psychic, like to the sense that we knew we were effed. Like we knew that whatever came after us was like, that's why grunge and this despondency that everybody had sort of like, well, we're fucked. So what are we going to do about it? You know, and just having the fear of God in us, Xavier, our parents put into us and me and my husband were laughing. We were talking about this the other day. We're like, how did, how did our parents do that? How do we put that in our kids? Yep. <laughs> they don't seem to that have responsibility. Like I was terrified. I am like so German about time. It's not even funny. And the cultural stereotype there is that I'm on time. I'm a little early so that I'm on time most of the time. Um, and that comes yeah. from my upbringing. Somehow my parents made me just terrified of being late. And if, if you say we're leaving, I get my butt out the door like that. Yes. Yeah. Now I watch people who are leaving and I'm like, um, when I see you by my car, I'll get ready to go because you're still going to go inside one more time. And I even forget stuff and go back in one more time. But I'm out. Yeah. Like, let's say clothes, you know, wallet, shoes. Okay, out. Yeah. <laughs> while they're done. And I think this social media thing has really messed up a lot of young people that yeah. like this whole idea of microaggressions and all these other things. Like Jordan Peterson had a podcast recently where he said, you're supposed to give disappointment feed. Like you're supposed to voice your displeasure at behaviors that are not becoming of a young person or a growing person. And to th- this, these days, if you do that, some, if they're not raised properly or they're too socialized in the social media world with triggers and, you know, microaggressions, like they, they, I had been accused of being abusive when it's really just like, no, this is proper. You need to learn how to be proper. And if you're making a mistake, you have to be shown that you're making a mistake. You right. can't, that, like, well, you have to parent. You, know, you have to parent. And there, you're, you're not supposed to. Uh, I mean, I'm, I refuse to apologize for parenting my children. I refuse. For or I, I refuse to apologize for I would I would sooner break my child's heart than let you break their heart. Okay, I will sooner do that myself. Thank you very much. And, yeah, because you're there to hold it, hold them. Right. I mean, nobody loves them more than I do, and they know that. I, I'm reading these notes and in, in, um, in YouTube, and and I agree. Like I was a latchkey kid. They're saying that latchkey kids in our generation were left to their own devices. True. We were. And um, it says that 
I mean, my mom was raising us and stuff, but then she became a single mom. And then, so we became latchkey kids. And that's a hundred percent why I know what happens if you put metal in a microwave and turn the microwave on. Because you did it. <laughs> Hi. Also, we, we know what it's like when the, the neighbor across the street's daughter decides to get our key that she's holding for emergencies and come into our house. Um, and me and my sister get scared and we get a hammer and we stand behind the door and get ready to hit somebody because they're coming in our house and we don't know why. Yeah. Almost, almost got her. <laughs> <laughs> Good thing you didn't. I know. It was kind of crazy. Uh, they didn't, they did a story on us on the news about it, actually, you know, like, hello, you might want to tell your kids not to go into their neighbor's house without. (laughs) So Gen X, basically what we're saying has the highest survivability rate of the apocalypse. (laughs) That's what they say. I don't know. I'm not sure. Gen Gen Z and millennials, you know, children are not. I think Gen Z is going to go freedom again. Yeah, right? Like, everybody rebels against whatever the status quo is to a degree, and I think it's it's too soft, and and they're realizing that, and they're going to be at the prime age to have to fix it. Well, they're also, they're they're saying fuck this and opting out. Yeah, yeah. Like, when you see the ones who are older who can, they're just like, I'm not staying at this dead-end job. I'm going to go live my life. And and that sets the, once somebody starts doing that. Yeah. And they're willing to be uncomfortable. They're more entrepreneurial, for sure. Mm-hmm. You know, they grew up in the gig economy. Yeah, yeah. So they're saying that the biggest problem is kids have no sense of privacy or how to respect privacy. I don't know that that is a problem. I think that they have too much privacy. No, there is no private. Like privacy doesn't exist anymore. The idea of privacy is a fallacy at this point. Like we can do things to try to make ourselves feel good about being private, but literally there is no, that ended like late nineties, early 2000s. Are you talking about because of social media? Is that what this means? Yeah. Digital privacy. Like they're more easily to to talk to a random stranger. They have like an innate trust of other humans to Mm. a greater degree than we ever had. Right. Uh Um, like they're, they're, they know that there are predators and weird things, but they also have like the signals to know who is and who isn't for the most part, right? Because there's a, a great degree of socialization and things that we have had to take many different tribes, many different generations to learn. They're learning now because they're getting the information from across the world and spreading it together. Like the, during COVID, the highest degree of conspiratorial alternative history thinking kind of exploration took place. And now you bring up like Atlantis and everybody's like, Oh yeah, crystal, this, that giants power. Like they already know all of this stuff. And like, so uh, a, a sort of cultural basis or baseline has been generated and that has to do with socialization. It has to do with um, tr- like immediate trust. Like people get on Omegle and like they realize that they have no privacy anymore. So they've got nothing to hide really. Like they know that a screen name is just, is, is, is a thin veneer of protection uh, at least the smart ones. And so, you know, they have an openness that we never did. Yeah, I think the bigger problem is fear of things you don't really need to fear. Yeah. Hot people to really need security and safety. And yeah. believe me, I like being safe, but yep. just fear of things you can't control and that you don't need to be afraid of. 
is a big deal. And, and it's, it's how we, I mean, it's how you see the narrative controlling people, right? Even just starting with what the news cycles covering, whatever it is right now, in addition to McAfee, um, there's fear underlying it. And I can't stop reading the articles about whatever the, you know, topic du jour is. And the fear of that controls me here, even though whatever that is, is what? not here. It's like, why do people watch horror movies? I don't understand. I don't understand why anybody would watch a horror movie. You're literally sitting for an hour and a half, two hours being traumatized. <laughs> you know, I don't and, understand and, that either. My husband and his sister watch them, and I cannot. I, I have no idea. What. No, it, and I used to take kids on. What, my first company was an adventure company. I used to take people out on backpacking trips and camping trips and hiking trips. And the amount of... Over, even then, there was a lot of horror movies, but even then, like, the amount of people going into the woods and just being shit terrified for no good reason, but because they saw a movie with, like, Jason or somebody, you know, hunting them in the woods. It's like the irrational fears that are implanted in people are yeah. preventing them from actually being, like we said, curious or or trying to learn or be present. I mean, that was on purpose, right? So that's the problem. That was all happening on purpose because even right now, I mean, this fear that you're talking about from the news for the, you know, the virus or for anything um, is because people won't leave their house to see what's actually happening for reals on the outside where nobody's dropping dead. Like nobody's, everybody's not dropping dead. So, but they don't know that because they haven't been outside because they're afraid. So there's, they're trained to, sit tight inside and hide under their bed. And if they come out, they only come out to yell at you to go because they really should just be hiding under their bed. Hiding under the bed is very important. Bye Xavier. That means somebody just interrupted and they'll be back. You know, it's funny because uh, the whole, the whole virus thing, I've been just kind of keeping a personal tally of how many people I know who died of it versus yeah. how many died linked to the stick. And right yeah. now it's two of the virus and one of the stick for a total of three. I know my network. So right. that, that's, I'm just, it's just, it's something. So my, my, my question is how are zero, they zero to four virus to stick four sticks zero. Yeah. zero how, how are they proving it is what I'm still trying to find out since it's never been isolated. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. I, you know, I, I take it as they died of the virus if they got really sick and their oxygen dropped and they died. Uh, the respiratory death. I don't know. Like if somebody had advanced heart fa- failure and were in the ICU already and then got it, I don't really count those, but I don't think I have any of those either of people I know. But from the stick, if it's within a day or two of the stick and they were perfectly healthy, um, I'll, I'll accept that link. I already know four Especially heart stuff. I know, I know four people from that three are gone. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's it's not a study, obviously, but it's just it's something to keep track of. My observation. Mm-hmm. My observation. Observation's not good enough anymore. I mean, they told me I was a scientist because I could observe. That's yeah. what my teacher told me. What so Jack's not on the show, but he commented in, in uh, YouTube. He says, seems to me it's not the kids losing their shit about names, et cetera. I think he means PC language. Uh, mostly seems to be 30-somethings. Yeah. What does that mean? The 30-somethings are what? Losing their shit about you have to call people the right words and the uh-huh. words change all the time. Oh, 
words. I'm assuming I'm not that's gonna do that, that, y'all. Sorry, because I can't even remember. I can't remember your weird words. I mean, like, I don't know. I don't know. We had a funny conversation about like how somebody wanted to explain to their elderly mother what PC culture was, and they tried to explain using the proper word for a person of color, <laughs> and they. <laughs> They finished the conversation. Their mom's like, wait, which word am I supposed to use? <laughs> that was all yeah. that permeated. I refuse to make an effort to learn this because I walk in the laws of nature. So y'all can just hate me for it. Sorry. But, you know. My preferred pronouns are. Jack told us there's 74 genders or something. He said, I was like, what? 47, 74. What did he say? Something like that. A lot. A lot more than the two that I know about. But. I don't, I don't know. Anyway. He's, he's saying, wait till you see the data I have on vaccine death pulled right out of VAERS. V-A-E-R-S. Report will be out tomorrow. I saw um, something interesting. So, so about- by the way, you can't report to VAERS about the jab because this is an emergent. You're, you're allowing them to uh, get you because this is uh emergently being dispersed, untested or whatever. I mean, none of them have been tested. Let's just be clear. Okay. But these people are not able to have any recourse through vaccine court. So because it's emergent, no one's liable for it. No one, no one was really liable for any of it before, but you had an opportunity to go to the vaccine court. Um, but like, and if you lost, like our daughter was vaccine murdered. So there was no recourse for that. No recourse for that. Also, good luck trying to prove any of it anyway, as far as they're concerned. And, but well, yeah. So I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. I, I just was reminded of a conversation that happened just an hour ago. Before that was really important though. Yes. So <laughs> I, I read an article where, uh, Somebody killed a cop and they got them on a, on a screenshot, but they didn't get their face. They got like this much of them, right? Just the shirt. And they could do Google reverse, uh, reverse search on the shirt, found out the Etsy maker who made the shirt, went and got all of their records, found out who they narrowed it down and then targeted and got the individual who did the murder or whatever it was. They lucky that oh. he bought a shirt or she on Etsy. But look at the amount of effort they put into doing that. Yeah. But it was because one of their own were targeted and a victim. I've had a gun stolen from me a long time ago, and they did not put an iota of the same amount of effort into finding the culprit. Right? Detectives, detectives whose job it is is to, you know, uncover and stop crimes and, and find out who committed them did not put the same amount of effort. If that does not indicate to you the exact role government and all of these kind of organizations play it is it's not they don't work for you you just pay them to work doing other things <laughs> and so this is like a, what like, they want <laughs> yeah so 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 like somebody who's like oh agorism whatever da, 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 why would i even it's like you can use stories as well to indicate but then follow it up with do you think that they would do the same amount of effort for you if you're child was stolen if your you know if your car was stolen and let them ruminate on that if that if they if you don't think that they would then why are you supporting them why are you not figuring out your own systems of protection or discovering you know theft and crimes like when i had my bitcoin hacked i didn't go to the police i knew that there was nothing that they could do 
I knew that the FBI couldn't do anything. Who did I go to? I went to hackers who could actually trace back these people who I could offer a percentage of whatever we recovered. Right. So like we, at, at the very most fundamental core foundation of this. And I think that Gen Z gets this is that you're looking out for yourself. And if you don't figure out how to game the system and, and figure out the ways to, uh, to extract wealth from the, the surrounding ecosystem and bring it to yourself to survive and thrive, nobody's going to do it for you. And I think Jack was saying something about the 20 to 30 somethings or the Karens and sort of like, yeah, they, they grew up the softies and like, Oh, I need a safe space to, 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 to process my, my victimization or whatever. So I think. Their victimhood mentality. The alone time to process stuff. <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. The victimhood mentality is exhausting. Yeah. Well, and when it, it's also something, you know, we all fall into sometimes like the poor me. But when yeah. I like I make it a point when I hear myself poor me, it's like, OK, put your big girl panties on and figure out what you're going to do next. Right. Because this is this isn't going to help you being the victim at all. And and that's the agorist thing that we're like, we're not waiting for somebody to come save us or console us or because we were outside riding bikes, you know, eight and 12 and 15 miles a day or more yeah. than that or in one direction. And, and our tire would blow out and we'd have to drag that frame all the way home. <laughs> it wasn't a light bike. It was heavy. Yeah. And rubber on the tire was heavy. Too heavy. So you knew how to patch a tire. Dude, we had to carry that thing all the way back 14 miles to get it home and you know that's how tough you are Neethi like you had one of the biggest and most profound losses in your life and you're like that's on us there's nobody that's accountable and you 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 own it and like you're like well we have to carry on like it's pain and it's suffering and it's in you know unimaginable like I can't imagine what would happen if I did but like we take accountability for ourselves and we learn from our mistakes as hard as difficult as they are Knowing that if it's going to be better tomorrow, it's going to be by our efforts. Of course, grace is involved. Of course, you know, miracles happen, but it's like we are responsible for our well-being and our state of mind and our, you know, success. You know, I just started working with this doctor who's a functional medicine specialist and they look at your, what you're doing with stress in your life, how your sleep is going and other things. Um, they analyze a lot of things. They will make dietary recommendations, they, those sorts of things. So they try to fix the underlying problem rather than mask the symptom, which is why I was willing to try the person. And when when he explained his process to me, one of the things he said is, I will recommend treatment, and then you choose what you want to do because you're the driver in your health care. As yeah. if that was a new profound thing. And I was like, I've always been the driver in my healthcare, but a lot of people don't realize that they go to the doctor and the doctor says, take this thing. And they take this thing. Ultimately you're in charge there too. They just try to make it seem like you're stupid if you don't do what they say. And that's not necessarily true. I've I've had them totally misdiagnosed and I can tell, you know, it's not strep throat. That's the problem. So I'm not going to, you know, or whatever. Uh, That's just an example I made up. They'd probably have a test for that, but I can tell that what they say is wrong. Isn't wrong. Do let, what about this? Uh, I'm going to ask a broad question. Like if vaccine passports or vaccines were mandated, right? Like either get it or go to jail or somebody force vaccinates you. Would you capitulate and get a paper? Would you forge it? Lie would like, I, I, I don't know what I would do in that regard. I, I still don't know either. I've, I've thought about that some, 
because there are things where papers are being asked for. Morally, I don't think I should ever have to show my papers whether or not I have one. And right. so far, that's where I've stuck. And um, it's also kind of silly because getting a forgery ain't hard. But no. if I don't lie about it, I also don't get in trouble for lying about it. There's that. But I, uh, it's really hard for me to want to forge a vaccine passport. So, yeah. I mean, you can't travel in Europe without one now. Already? Yep. Mm. Told you not to I won't be going to Europe. From what I understand, <laughs> from what I understand, Xavier, they can put a quarter on your body and it'll stick and they'll know. So, I don't know about that shit. Like I, I, I've seen I mean, videos and I'm like, come on, like that just doesn't seem okay. right. I, I don't, I don't know about that part. I don't, I don't really know. But what I know is that there is tech involved and supposedly, um, you know, and I don't have any evidence for all you people and don't write Jack and bother him with all of this. <laughs> okay. No, don't write me. They write me. <laughs> Or Nicole or anybody like, you know, but, um, but I've already seen some video of some folks tracking some other people, you know, who supposedly got the stick. So, um, that too, I'm like, I don't know. Like that it was in Russian. I don't know it, because you know that this is a lot of weird shit going around. And I don't know that it's all like innocent people just trying to play a prank. I think that there's some like legitimate stoking <laughs> of the fears. But yeah, I think if the whole the whole reason for look the whole reason people wanted mandatory vaccination the reason it was being pushed for was not for safety why don't i just say that only then you guys can figure out what would what would be the real reason y'all figure it out you tell me cuz i don't know nothing and well, obviously you need evidence from me for every i think some of these things are above our pay grade like if we're going to think critically and you see things that kind of fall into what you kind of think of the vaccine, or I'm sorry, I'm not supposed to say that word on video, the stick. Well, now I'm going to get us banned from YouTube. Um, what did you say? If you're going to, I said the word I wasn't supposed to say, but if you, um, if you want to be thinking uh-huh. critically and something falls into your own narrative that you've come to by looking at other things critically, right. you still have to say, how do I verify that? even if you think it makes sense because it might not, and it might be being used as a tool to manipulate people who are critical of the stick. That, but no, that's, that's classic COINTEL pro and disinformation. Like yeah. they will, they will take something like nine 11 and that could very well just be planes flying into the towers and be like, Oh, it's project blue beam holograms, satellite beamed in and tactical nukes. And it's, and it's just, made to make anybody who questions the narrative and that's thinking critically seem crazy. Oh, you're one of those people. Yeah. They'll put out information that takes it to the extreme. That's why I think this magnetic shit is weird. That's why I think this like, oh, I'm now putting off a Bluetooth signal and I can track my buddies. Like, I think that this is a little bit over the top and we got to think critically, stand in the middle, be still and be like, who's trying to push what agenda and what polarization is there? I will say that I know from people who work in the manufacturing industry of the jab jab um, that it is gene therapy. And we know that for verified. Sure. Also, I know that that the mm, the the. A violation. How about, not Molly, how about, uh, 
when you're interfering with your sacred bloodstream, I know for sure that is not strengthening immunity. I know, I know that for sure. That's all I know. That's all you know. That's all. That's all I do know. And I know that if you want to strengthen immunity, that it requires you to honor the law of nature and not the law of a man who makes money, who isn't even in that medical profession, but is in more of a tech profession. And also maybe who is also in a vegan agenda profession investor. maybe. By the way, Xavier, who's, who's your friend on your shoulder? There? I know. <laughs> the bird on Xavier's shoulder. Yeah, a friend of friends. Who pooped on him earlier and it made him this, mad. This is Soleil. She's, uh, she likes, she likes grabbing onto my earrings and doing her morning workout on a, she does like pull ups <laughs> on my earrings. She knows she's on camera now. Hi. That's Hello. Soleil. Hi, Soleil. Soleil. <laughs> she's done. She's, now, she's, she's giving us the single bird. Like, um, I can see something. So I she's saw somebody to... asking in the YouTube about if freedom cells are an FBI trap or whatever. I don't know. Those guys seem kind of shady to I me. Mean, John Bush is a goose, so he's doing a good job if he is. The cool thing about freedom cells is it, it sets up networks and, and it's centered around building true community based on trust and real relationships. And, and we need them. And so many, so much of our community is manufactured. We are told which school to send our kids to if we buy into that. We are told, we are divided by geography. We are divided by political opinion. We are, put into groups by race. We are put into groups by income level, by professions, by the sports we choose to do. And the cool thing about freedom cells is we're putting ourselves into a group of people who want to be part of a community that develops trust and relationships. Before we started this show, I talked to Nithi about something that happened because a lot of people get into the freedom cells and they're like, what do you do next? And the answer is you get together and get to know people and you learn about each other. You find reasons to go do projects together, to hang out, to go learn things, whatever it is that interests your immediate group. If you hear other groups are doing interesting things, you go go to their Freedom Cell gatherings and you gather. And this is why. This is an example of why. Someday you're going to need the network. And a community with trust is a community that will help. Neethi advises people on nutrition, and one of the things she wants when she's um, prescribing a meat solution is regeneratively grown meat. Do you know how hard it is to find that in some places, especially for somebody who's never heard of it before? Neethi sent one email to the community and said, hey, do you know anybody who will do this? And as a result of that email, like the whole quote-unquote freedom cell opened up, and this person has access within, what, a week? Less three, yeah. two days. I think it, it was, it took two days to pasture raise healthy eggs, no soy in the feed, regenerative meat, all of these things in a state that Nisi doesn't live in just because she had that one connection over the border. And when we talk about freedom cells or in building community, that's what we mean by mutual aid. It doesn't mean necessarily we'll come and put your house back together if it burns down. Sometimes it's just knowing where to get the frickin' beef. 
two two things. So, a, I was being cheeky by saying that they're shady just because they did that to me in the very beginning because of my website. Um, and, <laughs> yeah. and, and they're great, they're great folks and, and I love them a lot. And in fact, I, I, I have, I've been trying to support different ways of that, but Neethi, sarcastically when you said it anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Good. And then Neethi, um, would you be interested in, uh, cattle produced, like instead of raising them to one years old and killing them like most, they raise them to three to give them a full quality of life, totally like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of acres free roaming, completely organic, totally regenerative agriculture. Uh, one of the most well-established beef cattle farms. And they do like a, a monthly subscription where they'll, they'll ship it to you. Is that some, I, I can, that. we do that too. Who, who is it? It's, it's one of, uh, I don't want to say it publicly just yet oh, because yeah. well, uh, we can talk because yeah. um, that's what we're doing. That's, that's the farms that I'm working with. Yeah, like that, I, like those, I prefer the beef be raised. First of all, the the USDA says that if you process an animal after 30 months, then they're going to you're going to lose the whole spine and you're going to lose all the stuff because yeah. of mad cow disease, which is come totally laughable. Are you saying that if a beef is over 30 months old, that now it's more susceptible to mad cow when the cause of mad cow was you feeding cows meat and their herbivores? Um, so no, that, so it's just, a, it's just oh, a joke. Yep. And you, you know, grass fed, grass finished beef is not actually uh, going to marble beautifully until it's over 36 months old. And yeah, I, I put can't... you in touch with these folks. They're, right. they're, they're right up your alley. I would um, love to know them. Yes. This person is saying on YouTube, I'm moving to Montana and tired of being a state slave. How do you get from ordinary life to low tax complicity? I think the man said, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's, but if you're smart about it, you don't have to render up too much. Yeah, somebody did mention we've done whole shows on that, and I'm yeah. sure we will again, and it's kind of near the end of our show time-wise, so sure. I'm wondering yeah, if look in some of our we need to fund that one to the next show. <laughs> yep, yep. Uh, maybe we'll get Jack to do a full episode on tax uh on, 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 well, on I've only Jack's had interviewed somebody who who runs a business called agoristaxadvice.com today <laughs> on the survival podcast. Did he really? He did. Yeah. That's brilliant. Yeah. So go to survivalpodcast.com um, and look at today's episode. It's all about taxes and maximizing your write-offs, I guess is probably the best way to say that. Legal. I'm going to go to that one today. Yeah, do. Um, and it is agoristaxadvice.com is that guy's website. Because I happen to know that person, so yeah. Agoristaxadvice.com. I'm not. This is not advice saying you should hire him. I'm just saying go check out his website and decide what you want. I'm gonna hire him. Yeah, <laughs> I want to talk to him. I know some people who he needs to talk to. Dang it! I needed to get an affiliate link. No, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think this has been a really fun conversation, and it's about time to wrap up. I'm gonna want to go once around the horn. But somebody just wrote something in the YouTube chat that's pretty cool. As a wrap up to the whole episode, it's beautiful. And it's from this person, it says, it seems like if we could help each other change our lives, that it would be more effective than spreading the message. Boom. That's brilliant. Thank you, this person. Drop the mic. Yeah. Mic drop. So let's go around. Um, I'll start with you, Xavier, and I go to Nithi and say anything else you want to say on this episode. This has been a very special edition of Unloose the Goose. Um, my name is Xavier Hawk. You can find me on all of the platforms except for Twitter because they suck 
at xavierhawk.com. And uh, our website is Phiron, P-H-I-R-E-O-N.com, where you can find the app where we're going to build the socioeconomic governance system where we can steer Spaceship Earth together. Neethi. I'm Neethi Bali. You can find me. Um, I guess I'm most active on Instagram right now um, because I don't really like everybody else. And then other people are just blocking me. But I am Neethi the Pharmacist everywhere. Um, and that's T-H-E-F-A-R-M-A-C-I-S-T, the Pharmacist. Um, also, you could go to my website, www.farmtoforkmeatriot.org. And that is F-A-R-M-T-O-F-O-R-K-M-E-A-T-R-I-O-T dot org. I'm also, by the way, going to start doing some group coaching as of August 1st, if anybody's interested. And you'll be able to learn more about that on my website. So check it out. I'm working on uploading all that right now. Awesome. And I'm Nicole Sauce from the Living Free in Tennessee podcast and Holler Roast Coffee Check out my podcast if you want to hear more from me. I do anything from homesteading to freedom-related issues. But more importantly, if you love Unloose the Goose and want to keep us growing, recommend us to friends. We live stream on YouTube, but we also have an audio podcast that goes out every Thursday, which is the audio from this video. And you can find all of our stuff at UnlooseTheGoose.com. Thanks, everybody, for joining in. Unloose the Goose. Take no abuse, your paradise.